Have you been using Clubhouse? A little bit, yeah. Um, there's a couple of those rooms, I guess you call them, that I follow. And every now and again, I'll get an alert and it looks interesting. So I'll pop into it and listen for like maybe a minute or two and then I'll drop off. But, are, are they InfoSec related or, or not? Um, the last couple ones that I lost listened to were uh, like crypto currency related like Bitcoin with everything that's going on with Bitcoin and um, things like that uh, seemed kind of interesting. It's, it's a few little politics things and whatnot with everything that's going on in the world. Um, InfoSec, not as much, surprisingly. Um, I don't know if it's just me ignoring it or me just uh, not catching it at the right time. Well, here's the question. Like, you know, uh, I haven't been really using it and I don't know how good, but the, I, I guess it's discovery is the question. If, for example, uh, we we had a InfoSec clubhouse, right? Shell Sharks related, whatever you want, might want to call it. Yeah. Would people be able to find it? You know, or is clubhouse mostly, you know, there's obviously there's some featured things, featured, you know, rooms, uh, mm. but beyond the featured rooms, I mean, if somebody said, oh, I'm interested in InfoSec related rooms, mm. right. Can they find it? I think so. Um, they should be able to find it. Now I have notifications turned on right now for clubhouse. So what happens and what I've noticed is if you are following a specific person or group or room for that matter, uh, every time someone you know or people that you know jump into a specific room, uh, I'll get a notification saying, hey, this person and this person and this person are in the specific room that you're following. So do you want to join? And you just tap on it and it goes right into the room. But, you know, so, if that's if you're already following them, you know, mm -hmm. versus versus like true discovery, you know, people because right now, for, if, if we created a Shell Sharks room, nobody follows that. Right. right. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I have, I have like five people who follow me on clubhouse, right? Yeah. Maybe if those people have an alert for when I go live, they would get that, but, but that's not discovery either. You know, that's just, Hey, I follow that person already. So I wonder if clubhouse is at the point where somebody new to clubhouse or already on there who might get an alert or they have, you know, they're following a, a, a certain, uh, you know, theme that like they right. interested in anything that goes, anybody who goes live related to InfoSec and they could jump into that clubhouse. Uh, yeah. Well, one feature it does have is like, you can invite people to join. Now this has got, this has got me thinking related to clubhouse or similar or similar, you know, I think other companies are coming out with similar clubhouse, you know, functionality that 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 mimics what clubhouse does including twitter with their with their spaces feature but imagine we had uh like we went live we created a room in response to for example the uh recent uh colonial pipeline ransomware hack right so that goes mm -hmm. down right they uh, uh, colonial pipeline comes out with their their statement to the public Mm -hmm. saying what has happened and, and kind of what's going on and, and letting and getting everyone up to speed on what's going on. We create a room in response to that 
just yeah. just to chat about things live as they're happening. And, and similarly, yeah. I mean, even better than that, think of like the Exchange Act. Because with Colonial Pipeline, it was really affecting them. Obviously, we can speculate and, and talk about yeah. what may be going on, but, but there's no real action to be taken. But imagine, right. for example, the Exchange Hack, where tons of people like us, infosec professionals, are wondering, yeah. you know, how, how to respond to this. Obviously, they may already be responding, doing something, but they might be looking to the larger community or maybe trying to have a discussion mm-hmm. or whatever or hear what people are right. saying. Maybe we could do something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, think about it. That's like the best thing if something like this were to pop up or we got specific news or something that came out, we would huddle, right? And we would get together and kind of go through a knowledge sharing moment where, you know, we go through what we've all kind of been reading or learning about whatever may have occurred. Um, I think Clubhouse is a great forum for that to be able to just pop in. You can pop, it's so easy to just get into a room that you can literally pop in there with within seconds and just start chatting, right? And I think that's great for things like this, especially for like the exchange hack, like you said, I, one thing that comes to mind is like, um, if you remember the Heartbleed uh, attack that happened, right? And people were just, you know, running around with, you know, with like chickens with their heads cut off trying to figure out how to respond (laughs) so that would be something that uh would be useful to 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 be able to pop into a room because it's anyone anywhere in the world right you just jump in and you can have these discussions i think it's a great form yeah that kind of stuff yeah i think it's good i mean i think the one thing that needs to be overcome and maybe clubhouse will do it before their their competition uh you know takes over but but that that still remains the discovering the social aspects Uh, obviously you know now that twitter has a uh a competing feature if you go live in twitter uh well then you bring your your all your followers that are already there you know with you they get alerted to it and they start using that whereas in clubhouse you know they're looking for you know adoption to grow that user base and then individuals who are coming from other social media sites have to rebuild their you know their follower base um whereas if it's if they're already in twitter and twitter is a feature they might just do that but but i'm interested in trying obviously clubhouse unlike twitter i i am on i am able to use clubhouse whereas on twitter i can't because i'm not cool enough but uh, (laughs) yeah how's the follower thing going getting your followers to get in no i'm not cool i'm not cool enough to have uh, <laughs> enough followers to what do. is it 600 plus right you have to have 600 yeah, plus no, to be not, able to do that i'm not i'm not i'm not infosec famous enough for that but but speaking of uh speaking of colonial pipeline and yeah. uh ransomware in general uh, that's actually kind of the main one of the main discussions for today uh with me i have uh my co-host and uh former colleague uh masi habib say hello masi yes hey that's me, and uh, and I am uh, the the host and, and creator of shellsharks.com, uh, Mike Sass. Uh, so yeah, so uh, I think what is interesting about Colonial Pipeline, uh, this particular incident, is is unlike many other incidents, uh, even in the ransomware space. You know, people hear about it. Maybe it hits the news. Maybe 
people understand that, oh, my personal information has been compromised or maybe the you know credit card information has been compromised. But this is all, you know, privacy related, you know, consequences of an attack right. like that. And 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 most people feel most people see these things as as breaches, right? And so in ransomware typically has these two different components. They have the availability component right? So compromising mm -hmm. the availability of these systems and secondarily the compromise right. of confidentiality. And so most people are familiar with the confidentiality type breach, right? Somebody stole right. data and, and people have become desensitized to this, I think. People see, oh, my credit card information got stolen or, oh, my, my PII got stolen. Well, that happens a ton of times and I have, uh, I have identity protection service and I have this or that and it, right. This is this is a dime a dozen. You know they're they're desensitized to this happening. What they haven't right. ever really been affected by. I don't think most people is is you know what I think is kind of the main part of ransomware, which is that actually locking out of systems and what that does to a company. And in the Colonial Pipeline situation, again, unlike with these other ones, that directly led to a number of different things, which we'll get into, which which ultimately right. led to people not being able to get gas, right? They couldn't fill up and sure. there were these shortages and obviously they were, you know, yeah. I I wasn't I wasn't particularly affected, A, because I don't drive, <laughs> any, mostly because I don't drive anywhere more than anything else, uh, but I also uh, charge my car instead of filling it up with yes. gas, so uh, yes. I, I didn't feel the pinch, but, but I was watching the news and everything else. Um, yeah. So 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 let me ask you cuz cuz I know you I know you've done a little bit of research into what exactly happened kind of the timeline sequence of events uh but for for those that are you know listening here walk me through why in colonial pipelines situation ransomware that hit their IT environment would affect their OT environment in this case you know shutting down the you know the systems uh, which you know deal with delivering, you know, natural gas uh, and and oil uh, to a, a large part of the eastern seaboard. Essentially, what happened is they were able to breach the Colonial Pipeline network, which uh, includes a bunch of you know ICS systems and you know. Um, so Darkside's the up... the ransomware group that took Correct. responsibility for this particular attack. Right. Yeah. So. So let me ask you: Was 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 Darkside able to, that we know of, able to compromise the OT systems, or was it just the IT systems? I think it was. I think it was just the IT systems that they that they were able to compromise. Right. Um, they were right. able to get in, and once once they were on the network, obviously they they ran through their their um, uh, attack framework. Right? They went in and they were able to pivot and spread. And essentially what happened was when Colonial, you know, realized that something was going on, they pretty much shut down portions of their network, um, which essentially got to the systems that uh, the ICS systems that control, you know, the flow of oil, gas, natural gas, whatever else they flow through those pipelines all up and down the East Coast. Right. Their response um, protocol was essentially... Uh, almost, I don't want to. I mean, this might be a little harsh, but almost like panic mode, like turn, like start ripping cables out. Let's turn stuff off. Uh, yeah. You know, let's let's slow the spread 
by you know making sure Shutting that it can't down. it can't spread it can't spread to a computer that's turned off so uh as they you know sought to investigate further about you know what the ingress point was uh you know what systems were affected uh, you know, right. were they able to move laterally? Were the OT environments potentially affected? Uh, obviously, this, I mean, this has only happened, what? I mean, when when was this? A, a week ago a now? Week, a week and a half uh, ago, maybe? Maybe a week and a half, about 10 days. Right, yeah, so there's, like that. you know, it, the investigation is still ongoing, and there's only so much information that's publicly available, so we're, we're speculating to some degree. But I think what is known is... Uh, well, well, they're 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 back they're back you know delivering right gas so I mean they're they're at the point where presumably they've they've extra you know got dark side out uh, yeah they've paid the ransom right apparently it was what was it like five billion in Bitcoin or something yeah was it was it million it was billion? five million no million. it was five million, million I think like that was the ransom they they were asking for and I think we both when we initially found out about this we we pretty much assumed that they were going to pay that ransom um, and which a lot of these companies end up doing uh, unless you have a solid backup of these systems like a backup schedule and 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 things like that of solid business continuity or disaster recovery plan it's unlikely that you're not going to be able you're going to be able to get them out and without you know sacrificing availability any longer right and this is more so of an availability type of attack than anything else um i don't think that this was the intention of dark side trying to um get to them because well they with said dark that. side they said as much yeah like they came right out and said i don't i don't know what their medium for for communicating with the the public is but they basically said oh we didn't realize like this we didn't realize this was going to affect, you know, people in this way, geopolitics, uh, you right. know, we're trying to stay out of that. We really just wanted to make some money off of an organization that we knew could, could pay this ransom. Uh, right. So it, you know, obviously we don't know exactly who the people are behind, you know, the dark side moniker. Uh, right. But if you want to take them at face value, they, they seem to, you know, state that they're apolitical and they're just you know just out to make some money uh, as nice as that sounds some of these some of these sort of uh ransomware attackers um they you know it's a business right they have support <laughs> they have websites they have forums they have all kinds of stuff customer support <laughs> they have all these things in order to to help them and they they have they you know they prove that they have certain data um they, they, um, you know, will we'll go into a negotiation. Um, I've learned that there are actual professional negotiators that will negotiate with these sort of attackers in order to, you know, bring down the ransom and things like that. And with cyber insurance, some of some of that stuff is covered. Um, where the these once, you know, they've realized they are hacked and that they need to pay a ransom or whatever the case is, they just you know, the company goes hands off and lets the, the insurance company start to deal with it, which is crazy in my mind that yeah. it's, this is an actual business, you know? What I, what but, I, th uh, what I thought ahead. was interesting here was I read their, their uh, I don't know if this is a an advertisement f from Darkside themselves, but basically they, they state 
the the kinds of targets that they that they won't target, including hospitals, right. schools, right. nonprofit organizations, government sector. Uh, but what's kind of funny is is and you just mentioned it is is uh, you know, them trying to set themselves apart and or, or try to have some integrity as a criminal organization is doing ransomware attacks. But they but they, they talk about all these guarantees that they make and that they offer like right. live support and yeah. uh, you know, in case there's a problem with the decryptor that they provide you once you pay the ransom. Um, yeah. But then they also, it's kind of like a little bit of sweet and sour. They like talk about how great their support is, but then they say, if you refuse to pay, uh, they'll publish all the, you know, all the stolen data, uh, yeah. send a notification to, to media partners. And then of course, lock you out completely, uh, by never, never, I guess, being willing to offer you the decryptor after the fact. Um, yeah. And it's crazy for some people to understand, like, like this type of, these type of people, like they actually have morals is what really they call it. Right. That they don't attack like hospitals and, and you know government sector and things like that they don't want to cause mass chaos right so you went out immediately to the gas station right and filled up like 50 barrels or did you not panic no okay no i did not panic no i did not panic um there was a lot of you know the the panic ensued and i I really didn't understand why but it's funny you say you're not surprised or that you were somewhat surprised by people's actions in terms of uh you know panic buying gas and filling up gas tanks and stuff. But I mean, it can't be that surprising. People went out and like hoarded all the toilet paper when COVID hit, even though COVID has, COVID doesn't result in you needing to use the bathroom more. So I don't know why people (laughs) freak out and have to go buy all the toilet paper. Um, If anything, the gas thing made more sense, but. What this did is, is, is shine a light on, you know, how detrimental hacks like this can be and how important you know your cybersecurity uh posture um is important for especially for companies like this where the government really doesn't have a lot of controls over it right and this is something that affects everyone it affects the entire nation but this is a private company that 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 provides this service so well let me ask you this so you know this this is high profile because of of the impact right and and a lot of a lot of breaches uh at least in the public eye are are measured nowadays uh not by the amount of records that are leaked or the fines that are levied or anything like that but but you know the tangible impact to you know to their customers and and you know when name a name a high profile breach that's happened before home depot whatever it may be you know it's it's the impact is low. People still went to Home Depot the next day, right? Yeah. So let me ask you this. I mean, obviously this one, it was high impact, uh, you know, high yeah. impact to, to people. But but other, you know, other companies are at similar risk to this, right? What if like an electric company got hit? What if, you know, uh, Facebook suffered a, you know, yeah. a ransomware outbreak such that people couldn't get on Facebook or people, you know, right. I mean, uh, I, an ISP, right? So now yeah. your internet's out. You know, Internet's down. Yeah. What what would be and I mean you can you can come up with something funny if you want here, but what would be like the the most devastating like company to hit by ransomware? I mean, like when the gas, <laughs> this this thing happened, but it wasn't. I mean, I guess I I'm in in somewhat of a, a minority because uh, I'm not traveling anywhere 
and I don't I didn't I don't need gas, but like this didn't mm-hmm. like I was just like watching from the sideline as this unfolded, and it only really happened. Mm-hmm. It only really affected people for like a week and a half. Uh, but I'm sure there were right. people who were who were maybe not severely impacted, but pretty impacted by this. But but what would be the worst thing to have like not have like you well a not have for a week and a half, but b like worry that 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 outage might happen even longer. Obviously, they went and paid the five million to get people back online quickly because I feel like they had mm-hmm. to. But like, what would be the worst thing? I think personally, electric. I mean, think about it. None of your doesn't matter if your ISP gets hit. Doesn't matter if anything else occurs. Um, I think if we lose, and I think this is a big fear of most governments. But would it happen example. the same way? I don't know enough about. Oh, I should though. We should. We should know better more about how this works because <laughs> yeah. of our inner ECA. Yeah, background. But, but essentially, but but if if I you know I. It, I don't know what you have. I'm Dominion, right? So if Dominion got hit by ransomware and was therefore unable to deliver electricity to me the same way they have, well, electricity is a, a grid, right? So somebody else could right. deliver the electricity to me, presumably, right? I mean, uh, am I, is yeah. that not how it works? Like there's other, like well, they're all connected, right? They're all, I think they're all connected. It's funny because we should know more about this, uh, this topic in general. But I, I did a good job um, for five years not really learning anything about how the grid works. I know here uh, I once lost uh, internet uh, for maybe a day pretty much and nothing worked in my house. You know, essentially TV is on internet. Um, everything, everything nowadays is smart right it, it has some sort of internet connection internet might be worse than electricity i mean it, it depends i mean for one i mean to go back to i i i think if dominion or some individual uh power provider was was affected again i think again not not i'm no expert here but i, I think there's redundancy such that somebody else would just deliver electricity to me now if everyone in my area all the places that do generation and or distribution were affected, then maybe mm-hmm. my ultimately what can get to my house from uh, electricity uh, via the grid, then maybe I get, I get affected. But I think, I think there is some redundancy where if only dominion was hit that I might still be able to get electricity, but I don't know. Uh, but internet, I think might be worse because you know, my electricity goes out. Okay. Cool. I guess I'll just pull up my phone. I've got at least, Typically, I keep this thing relatively charged, unless, of course, right. unless, of course, you know, I guess the towers are also affected by this outage. Yeah. Uh, such that be, so here's the thing, I I don't have I don't have good cell service where I'm at, right? Maybe you have good good enough cell service where you could hotspot your phone, or you could essentially live off your phone for a little bit. I mean, I just want to be able to would be great. browse Reddit. Like I don't, I'm not trying to do anything. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but when you got well, you do have a kid. Once your kid grows to the age where they want to watch uh, PJ Mask all day, um, then you'll essentially know that that's that's a big problem when you don't have the kids. Well, dude, you know, don't you have an iPad? Uh, preoccupied. I do have an iPad. Well, then throw I your cartoons. Throw your cartoons. Like, make sure you have them downloaded physically to your iPad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you're set. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so, so see, that's that's an example of a business continuity right there, right? That's so yeah, that's called you, family you, continuity. 
<laughs> yeah. So it, I mean, that's yeah. So the, as long as you have some sort of backup. For me, it was electricity. So let me ask you, what would your choice be? ISP or an internet? If internet went down, that would be uh, uh, affecting your daily life, I assume. Um. Yeah. I mean, what else do I use? What else do I do? Yeah, it's I mean, hard to think about it at the moment, right? Until it happens. I mean, the internet would be right? pretty terrible. But I mean, it's again, yeah. ISP, if my ISP goes down, I mean, wouldn't I still, I'd probably still be able to use my phone. Cell service, I guess. You could drive and get cell service. Yeah. Now, going back to electricity. Cause like, yeah, my cell service is, is AT&T, but my, my internet, my ISP is Verizon. So... Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's some redundancy there in terms of like me having, and it's not for anything important. It's more just like I want to be able to have the internet so I can look at you know, cat videos sure. and Reddit. And for right for Twitter. us, right? But it, everything else runs on internet, right? Every I mean the whole world is connected at this point. Well, yeah, but right? I, I just more mean you know I mean if the if I mean if there was a legit global internet outage, I mean we're talking about something much more severe than. Uh, yeah. you know ransomware affecting a local isp right sure which yeah. is kind of the scenario here yeah but uh, i mean going back to electricity think about your your car what if your car is not charged up and electricity goes out now i don't know how often you charge again you don't drive much anyways and i don't know how often you keep your car charged I keep it relatively charged, right. but again, you know, you you I can go ten minutes down the road and get to a, a, a supercharger. A, well, a place that is served by a different power company. So, I mean, sure, yeah. if there's a wide scale attack on the electric grid through some, you know, some state sponsored actor, that's different. Other yeah. than if yeah. if a particular power provider. Is compromised and that leads to electricity not being able to be distributed to some region right I can travel 10 yeah. minutes down the road like you for example you have a different power provider than I do I, I'll drive I have right. enough I have enough uh, electricity to get to your house I'll drive over there and I'll leach your, your electricity off 120 volt outlet it'll take me like <laughs> four days to charge up but I'll be fine right so I'm not really worried about yeah. that I mean in fact that makes it you know for people who are for people who say, oh, you know, uh, gas was affected, so I couldn't get gas for my car. Well, you would be in the same boat if electricity was affected. I mean, not so much. I wouldn't have to travel far to get electricity. Now, then again, uh, you wouldn't have to travel that far, I guess, to get to a region that is served by a pipeline that wasn't Colonial Pipeline. For example, my brother lives in West Virginia, and I don't think West Virginia is served by Colonial Pipeline. So they had no gas shortage to my knowledge um yeah but yeah you yeah know, i think this was mostly the coastal states that got affected yeah you know it's interesting to kind of go back to uh, i meant to mention this but with with dark side itself uh one thing that i thought was pretty funny was funny but also kind of interesting is is that in one of their statements they are pretty much actively recruiting are they yeah, so it's funny. It's yeah, they're looking for they're looking for uh, essentially pen testers, right? They're looking now. How legitimate that is, who knows? I I would think the act of because 
obviously there's, it's kind of both ways. There's a trust issue, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say Mm -hmm. you were legitimately interested in going to the dark side, literally. uh, And, and, you know, being all pun intended. Yeah. All the puns intended and, and, you know, working as a, uh, a pen tester for uh ransomware as a service group, you know, that recruiting po- process is very much like, okay, you apply to do that and you have to make sure that they aren't actually a, like, you know, government organization <laughs> government. that's going, that's yeah. like trying to just catch trying people. To... And similarly, right. they're trying to make sure that, you know, assuming they are an actual legit criminal organization, they're, they're going to be trying to vet you to make sure you're not a fed, right. Or otherwise trying right. to infiltrate their organization and, and bring them down. So that's interesting. interesting. I would, I would, lo- I would, yeah, yeah. I would, uh, I would love to hear from somebody about how exactly, you know, on, on either, and either, either way, a- I would love to see like a, like a tell all, Right by somebody who's like, oh, yeah. I worked for a ransomware gang, and similarly, I would like yeah. to hear from like a Fed, who was like, yeah, I infiltrated a ransomware gang, or like other other right. criminal organizations like Pirate Bay or you know any any of these like you know online criminal organizations. I don't know, it'd be kind of interesting. I kind of wonder how many ransomware gangs are truly autonomous, and that they that they don't work for or feed into a uh, you know, state-sponsored kind of thing. You know, imagine like yeah. Russian criminal groups. Mm-hmm. Or do they really act with full autonomy? Or is like the Russian government, for example, they know who they are and what they're doing, but they're fine. They're like, continue doing what you're doing as long as you don't do it to us, right? So chaos in right. other countries or against our adversaries, our you know political adversaries. And you're good, yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. Did you happen to read or or even skim the, I only recently learned about this, the 81 page report that was co-created by a number of top executives and and leaders within the IT industry and delivered to the Biden administration, so the government essentially, uh, about what to do uh, to combat, you know, the epidemic that is ransomware. Did Did you see this? Did you read any of that? I I have not. Um, I have not. I mean, I did see the executive order that went out. Um, I did go through that. No, um, this is unrelated. That came out by... I mean, I guess it's not unrelated. Yeah. It came as a response, um, you know, and probably somewhat, attack, yeah. somewhat influenced by uh, the recommendations that were that were offered in right. this in this report. But essentially, I, yeah. I haven't read I haven't read the whole thing. Um, yeah, maybe I will. I'll 81 pages. Uh, I don't know. I'll probably get to it. But some of the I did read an article uh, that uh, lists some of the kind of more interesting recommendations. Uh, what I thought was interesting mm-hmm. about these is, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll rattle off a few of them, is that none of these are really about you know technical prevention of ransomware. So if I if I asked you if I ask you specifically, not, uh, you know, or, or anyone who's, you know, similar, like security engineer, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how to protect against ransomware, you're going to offer very prescriptive, mm-hmm. protective advice. You're going to say, you know, 
you know, make sure you, you limit, you know, lateral movement. So you have like network segmentation or you have, yep. you know, backups or you, or, you know, mm-hmm. your, your, uh, you know, protection against common ingress points. So like, you know, phishing yeah. and, and stopping execution. So you have a number of different things that you would probably suggest, but these, right. but these recommendations are like, uh, for, uh, I'll just read off a few limit legal liability for ISPs that act in good faith, uh, create a federal cyber response and recovery fund. So that's again, responding in a fund to essentially, I guess, help pay, uh, ransoms, uh, require crypto exchanges to follow, uh, uh, know your customer model. Uh, so you have some anti, uh, money laundering rules there, uh, mm-hmm. centralized expertise and crypto seizure. So essentially going after the money, right? So again, right. not helping, not helping protect against ransomware, protect. but really yeah. just going after, I mean, I guess a response. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's has a, ha, would have a delayed effect. I guess if, if you're successful, you know, hunting down the people who are accepting crypto payments from ransomware victims and you're successful with this then presumably you'll have less ransomware operators because they know they're going to get tracked down but i don't yeah you know i i'm not saying that's not a good idea i mean it should be a defense in depth approach but it's just interesting how none of these oh here here's a few more create a standard format for reporting ransomware incidents and Mm. uh establish an incident response network so then all of these things are all you know, process they're all, oriented. Yeah, well, they're either process or kind of like soft things, or they're or they're responsive mm-hmm. in nature rather than. And, and sure, I know, I know, you know, defense or like keeping somebody out of your network is kind of a a fool's errand uh, to some mm-hmm. degree. But but to be successful with ransomware, you you don't just pop. You can't just pop one box or get a foothold on a network. Like you need to you need to get in. Spread. you need to spread and and optionally you need to be able to exfil data out so you need to achieve all mm-hmm. of these things and you need to get to enough places on the network where you have enough impact on that organization right mm-hmm. so i would imagine yeah. I, I would i mean i guess this is why i guess in this particular list these are just interesting recommendations so maybe this mm, this article just left out the obvious ones um mm-hmm. but you know what i hope it gets stressed to organizations like Colonial Pipeline is is some of the, and I'm not saying everything's easy, but there are some common sense things that can be done. Uh, and by common sense, I'm not even then I'm not saying they're trivial. Even though there are probably some, there are certainly some trivial things you can do to help you know slow down uh, potential ransomware. Uh, I kind of hope those things. Uh, you know, a framework comes from the government to help organizations like Colonial Pipeline do, you know, the things that are, you know, provide high defensive impact, right, Right. for for low money. I mean, a lot of, I mean, Colonial, uh, people who get hit by ransomware and have to pay $5 million, like only then do they Mm -hmm. realize, you know, if we had just, if we had put half of that ransom into, our cybersecurity program over the last couple of years, right. we wouldn't be paying mm-hmm. twice as much now. Uh, right. It's easy to say that after you get hit, right? And and yeah. I've worked at several places that you know money comes, right? Once once you have an incident, yeah. right? Money comes, right? right? And unfortunately, that's the mm-hmm. way things are. But 
Uh, I mean, I think that I think most places are like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think generally, I mean, the infosec field is good right now because, mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, but There's partially of because news. of the success of the bad guys, uh, and that yeah. that results in a lot of money coming into into infosec programs around the world. But yeah, it's interesting that they they did. I'll, I'll have to read that up too, and you'll have to send it to me. Uh, I can read up on that as well. But one buzzword that comes to mind that is a hot topic. Uh, as of recent is zero trust infrastructure, right? Zero trust networks where you don't trust all users, all systems on a network are untrusted, right? So zero trust is something that it's, I think the concept's been around for a while. I think Google kind of uh, coined it, but I yeah. think late last year or, or sometime kind of late last year, uh, NIST released their special publication <clears throat> uh on zero trust architecture. Um, mm-hmm. And though I agree, a properly implemented zero trust architecture would probably work wonders to prevent something like ransomware because ransomware, as, I, as we said before, kind of relies on that ability to spread. Uh, yeah. You know, to recommend zero trust architecture is somewhat fraught because you know, there's a lot that organizations should be doing before they even start trying to play in the space of, of zero trust. Now, you know, like with many things in security, it's, it's somewhat of a spectrum, right? You can, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It's not, I mean, it's not as if you have an environment that is entirely, uh, like completely to the letter zero trust, or it's not. Um, obviously you can have things that are, you know, mostly aligned with the, ideology of zero trust uh with some right. exceptions and 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 gain 95 percent of the security value uh and i'm i'm certainly not opting i'm certainly not suggesting that oh if you can't do full zero trust then you should just have like a completely like flat network and no you know org-wide like right. uh, centralized like uh authentication authorization and do nothing right. um but yeah. i don't know if that's the first thing i would recommend zero trust um and then you know security awareness security awareness is is important it's valuable and obviously it can prevent a lot of things but ultimately mm-hmm. i don't i mean there's probably organizations out there who are like a hundred percent like we like phishing cannot affect us because our our security awareness is so amazing but i think generally speaking uh, and we know this from looking at phishing numbers from you know wherever is that people click right it might be a small percentage oh, of the yeah. population and it might vary depending on the type of campaign but p- people undoubtedly are going to click things so mm-hmm. security awareness however important it is is also you know not that any of these one things are are enough because obviously we all people in security ascribe to a defense in depth model but i think the biggest bang for your buck for stopping you know ransomware i mean think about it is is you need to prevent obviously execution uh or and prevent the ability to do what ransomware does which is which is you know encrypt the the hard drive right so so how do you do that right and then, and then of course be able to move yeah. laterally so i think uh one really effective approach is just limiting admin privs right so mm-hmm. if you land on a system you don't have admin rights well all of a sudden you've got a hurdle to jump yeah. right now of course pen testers do this all the time 
right? They, I mean, you you go do any hack the box, and you're going to be put in a situation where you drop into a system where you're not an admin, and you have to figure out how to escalate privileges or move laterally, and then escalate privileges. So, I mean, it's not like this is rocket science for for a sophisticated you know ransomware uh, uh, group. Uh, yeah. But I think for organizations who are looking for what's the easiest thing we can do to mm-hmm. put, to have high impact, high, you know, security, like defensive impact, limiting admin mm-hmm. rights is a big one. Uh, obviously patching, yeah. uh, obviously something like app, app whitelisting. I mean, those three things are maybe some of the three that I would recommend. Well, uh, I think, I think with that, we can wrap up the, uh, the ransomware portion of this, of this conversation, but I, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to quickly touch uh, on uh, switching gears here a little bit. Of course, um, Google I/O. Google I/O was today, uh, and I always like to watch. Fun. I, I've never I've never owned uh, an Android phone, um, but with Android I kind of have. yeah, with Android being kind of the main competitor of course to ios i'm always interested in what Mm -hmm. google is doing because when you know you know where there's competition you know people like us the consumers the customers get a lot of cool features right because apple's trying to catch up with google google's trying to catch up with apple so i'm always interested let's watch io and see what comes out because either i mean one of two things happen and it's a win-win situation either Google announces some new cutting edge functionality, right? Software, hardware, likely software, whatever it may be. And I can say, Ooh, I can, I'll look forward to Apple coming out with that. And you know, however long it takes Apple to create their version of it, or Google will come out with something that Apple already has. And then I can go to my uh, friends who use Android phones and say, Oh, so you guys are just copying Apple, you know, and just, you know, start that flame war. Right. Everybody loves that. So, yeah, uh, so yeah, uh, IO today, um, and with you know Apple had their uh, spring event not too long ago, so I I was kind of interested in comparing one versus the other. Um, right, you were able to catch most of the IO. I I I actually wasn't able to. Well, I tried to catch most of it. It was all in the background as I was working and watching the uh, the kid. But um, you were able to catch most of the IO. Um, keynote Here, that went on today. Here's the thing. I don't know how long it was. I know it was long because it just kept <laughs> it, was long, it just kept yeah. going, and they they kept they talked yeah. about a lot of different things, and I'm sure some of them were yeah. were more interesting than I'll give them credit for because I kind of was zoning in and out as I was trying to focus on other things. But I think right. you know, and I can talk about some of what I thought was interesting that they came out with. But I I think what's what's at least to me what's more important or, or what's you know an observation I made. And again, uh-huh. take this with a grain of salt, to some degree, because I am a, yeah. you know, uh, uh, an Apple fanboy at heart. So I, I'm naturally going to be biased in this conversation. But yeah. I don't think Google really understands, or maybe it's not their intention, of this particular keynote to to market what it is that Google is releasing. When Apple has their keynote. Sure, I, they. I, I'm not saying they don't talk about stuff that that is like boring sometimes. Like they they mm-hmm. always like start. You know, they have some like story they tell, or they're talking about their the Apple stores and how many new Apple stores they opened, and that stuff's always kind of boring right at the beginning. Yeah. Um. But then, but then ultimately, they're just like you know, 
hardware announcement, hardware announcement, like very, very cool software announcement, hardware announcement, very cool software announcement. And then they're done, right? They, they, they talk about like they have people, it, it seems like they have actual people in marketing saying, this is the stuff you need to talk about. Everything else, talk about the rest of the week, right? Because typically yeah. these are events like WWDC is a keynote where they talk about, you know, mm-hmm. kind of marketing stuff, like big hardware, big software announcements. And then the rest of the week is developer talks. Google doesn't seem right. to understand this. It doesn't seem like they have market a marketing team helping them decide what they should chat about. First of all, the the the, the keynote was like three hours long. I'm not even sure. Yeah. No, I, I paused it yeah. and, and played it a couple of times, so I'm not sure. But but they talked about a lot of things that even I was just not interested in. I'm like a power nerd who loves like smartphones and is very interested right. in what Google's coming out with. But I, mm-hmm. you know, they took at, at one point. You said you didn't watch it. Yeah, if you want to go back and maybe watch like a like a, a recap or something. But at one point they were showcasing yeah. this this artificial intelligence functionality called Lambda. Also, I don't like the name. Mm-hmm. Like they know what Lambda is. Yeah. They know Lambda is like yeah. a, not that AWS like has like a reservation on using that terminology. But why would you call yeah. it Lambda? I don't even get it. Right. Maybe somebody can explain yeah. that to me. But. I they, agree. They they ha- like the whole point of this is to have like a conversation with I'm not even sure inanimate objects. I'm not really I'm not really sure. But during the keynote, uh, they were they presented for a long time, much longer than you think would be comfortable, a conversation that you can have with the planet Pluto, or a conversation you can what? have with a paper. I air- definitely missed that a paper airplane. So at one point they were like asking this paper airplane. Oh, how? What's the longest you've ever flown? And the paper airplane was like, "Oh, I've flown fifteen hundred feet." And they're like, "Oh, what's the worst thing you've ever landed in?" A puddle of water. It said, "Like this AI, what? this AI that was like really? simulating a paper airplane." Do I think that this is maybe? I mean, thinking of the of the types of questions you could ask Pluto, and presumably if it had the ability to answer it, like I think it's kind of cool, and maybe. I'm not sure how I'm not I'm not a marketer either, so I'm not really sure the best way to market this. But, but they were going into this, and I'm like, why are they why are they spending so long on this like strange, quirky, like I wouldn't even call it a feature of of Android. You know, I just don't. Yeah, there's a, I feel like there's a place or a way to 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 talk about this. But in this Google Keynote, you really need to get in talk about how great Android yeah. is the top th- new things of the operating system and then and then or and then if of course if you have hardware announcements or you have wearable announcements which they did talk about those mm-hmm. high level things and mm-hmm. then get out mm-hmm. not talk about like these weird like, like i feel like google is basically a bunch of engineers smart yeah. guy like super smart i would love to work at google right that would be awesome oh yeah uh yeah. but google if you're listening <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on the market right now, but you know, uh, yeah. It, but you know, if there anyone that is out there, but no, like they're 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 great engineers and they come up with cool stuff, right? AI. I mean, at one point they had right. a, a conversation about quantum computing. Of course, they didn't have anything to like showcase. It wasn't like oh, and the and new the new Pixel has like a quantum like like microprocessor. Yeah. Right? Like no, they're just like let's yeah. talk about quantum computing for like thirty minutes. Why would, it almost why would seems they talk like, about that in a keynote? Yeah, it almost seems like they're all just kind of uh, talking out loud, so to speak, and just throwing stuff at a wall and sees, 
and they're trying to see what sticks, right? Google's always been known for their innovation, right? They, they're very innovative in the sense of they want to be the first to come out with the latest and greatest and something that people haven't uh, seen before, right? And, and I think they're, they're good at that, but I agree with you when you say, you know, uh, they, they don't market very well. There's so many things that they're trying to do all at once, right? And I don't know that a lot of these super, super, um, I mean, I don't know that a lot of these things that are not, how many of these things that they went through in the hours of their keynote are actually going to make it to, you know, production where they actually come out with these things? I don't know. Like this whole AI thing that you're talking about, like, yeah, it's super interesting, but that's where it ends, right? They do tend um, to announce a lot yeah. of things that are are very much beta. Right? I, I, they announced, I don't remember what keynote this was. This could have been last year, maybe two years ago, but they had a, and I, th- I think this still exists, but I don't know who uses it, but it's essentially a service that will like call like your dry cleaner or like a restaurant. It'll call a restaurant and like place a reservation for you complete artificial intelligence or you know will place a reservation for you like you just you just say oh i, I need a reservation at this restaurant for 6 30 tonight and and a robot right ai like a piece of software will call mm-hmm. this company and with a artificial you know produced artificially oh. produced voice will simulate a human placing a reservation for you first of all it's creepy Second, I don't know if it ever like if it's ever come out of beta. If it's a real thing you can do, it probably is. Uh, but but you know, Google tends. To, I think it's pretty cool. I'm, it is well. I, I think I, it's pretty cool. I think it's cool. What I what, but what I think is it's like super. It's like you're too imp, you're too important to place that reservation. You're too important for that. Hey, I like to think I am, but you know that's that's the part I don't get. like. If I was working at a restaurant, I don't like. See, here's the thing: people that at something like that, people that are introverts, that they really don't like calling places. Like for me personally, I use Open Table, right? For example, when I'm putting it, just using what you mentioned as an example. But here's like, the, I use Open Table because I don't want to call anybody. I don't want to call people either. But I don't want to call people either, really. But what I don't want to do is like subject random restaurant workers to a Turing test, right? Like that seems rude yeah. for, for like to have like, Hey, I just sent like AI to like make a reservation. Right. So the poor, the poor restaurant person, let's say they have a question that this robot isn't able to answer. Well, all of a sudden cool. now it gets revealed to them. Oh, you are talking to Google's AI assistant. And they're like, seriously, like this person could, couldn't <laughs> even bother like to calling me themselves. You know, I don't know. Yeah, what would be cool is like you integrate something in that sense to like something with Open Table, right? You say you want a reservation at this point, at this time, at this place, and if they're available on like Open Table or whatever other but then you don't uh, need, app that comes out that does the same thing. You don't need the you don't need an AI you at that point. The other side. You just pull out Open yeah. Table. You just pull out Open Table yeah. and, and and place a reservation. Like Open Table, I feel like uh, that's the thing is like. I mean, not every not every restaurant uses open table, so this is really for the non open table restaurants. But not to get too off topic, right. I mean, Google tends to do things like this, where it's 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 cool, right? And it's pushing the boundary of how to use AI and ML or whatever to help you with 
the things, the friction points in your right. daily life. And Google's great at this. Uh, I just yeah. don't. I just don't think they're doing a great job in the keynote itself, marketing this in a way that is digestible, really, or or attention grabbing enough for a, ca- a casual the person audience. watching. Yeah that keynote yeah. much less myself i'm not i don't consider myself like maybe for io i'm i'm a casual right because i That's not right. like a big googler but like i'm pretty big into the world of like tech and smartphones and if mm-hmm. i can't if they can't even hold my attention for mm-hmm. however long the keynote is i feel like they're i don't know that, that i wonder seems, how that cool they're yeah i wonder who they're aiming these keynotes to are they more of the tech well, it's for developers, right? Like us, I think similar or, to W yeah. similar to WWDC. Most of WWDC, WDC, yeah. Like day one keynote, day one keynote is for everybody. They've mastered that. Yeah. But the rest of the week is for developers. If if right, even if I tried to walk into like a, a developer like session after the fact where they're talking about new libraries and Swift, I you know I'd be like, well, I'm, this isn't designed for me. But I think Google I/O is like they don't like there's stuff they're talking about which is they don't it's have just, that it's just not right. designed for me like and then so let me so so flip it now right so uh, compare that what you saw today with io to apple's keynotes well it's not really f- fair in this case to compare io with the or at least the recent spring event so the recent spring event was a hardware event hardware is just more mm-hmm. interesting People they came mm-hmm. out with new, what they came out with new they came out with AirTags they came out with a new M1 iPad M1 enabled iPad a new M1 enabled iMac that's just cool and the mm-hmm. iMac was like a complete redesign uh, obviously the iPad Pro having the M1 means a huge performance boost but it also has some implications for the types of software that can be run on it so uh, there's a lot to unpack and a lot of interesting stuff from that keynote now compare mm-hmm. I think a better comparison is obviously WWDC. WWDC doesn't usually have uh, hardware. It's They normally just showcase the newest version of iOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is where I think, you know, just Apple's product marketing team tends to shine showcasing the new big features of iOS. Um, now, again, I'm, I, don't get me wrong, pretty biased here. Uh, and Apple does, in some cases, uh, notably like with widgets, tends to you know lag behind some of Android's more cutting edge features. So, for example, mm-hmm. last was it last year or two years ago? I think it was last year. WWDC, uh, maybe it was two years ago. They came out with the widget functionality, right? Two years ago. So yeah. widgets came out ios people rejoiced they said oh my god widgets and all the android people were rolling their eyes saying oh i've had widgets since 2009 but yeah but you know what i'll say and again this is again biased apple fanboy never had a google phone uh or an android phone is that from what i understand is that the google widgets like widgets that you can get from the Google Play Store from application developers that are have their apps in the Google Play Store is that those widgets are pretty janky and have always been. Sure, there's some first-party widgets that work well, but like generally speaking, widgets 
they don't have a they don't have like a uniform uh, design language. Some of them are kind of janky in how they work, or they're not properly updated or, or maintained by developers. So you get this very kind of haphazard experience uh, with Android. Whereas in iOS, you know, there's a standard design language, and uh, you know, the it being kind of a new thing, a new kind of ecosystem. It's it's you know somewhat fresh and and you know better maintained at this point, but. Uh, you know, to kind of bring this full circle, uh, what I saw today out of the keynote is that with the new version of Android and their new design language, I think they call it Material U, they're actually revamping the way the design language specifically for well for the entire operating system. But this also applies to widgets. Uh, what's interesting, I saw a screenshot and a short kind of like mm, clip of like what the new Android like you know, design looks like, uh, the oh, new version. Shit. And it, it's very, it's very much like authentic Google. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff, especially, well, I'll say specifically for the widgets where I'm like, that looks like they pulled it right from iOS essentially, where it's basically like these rounded, oh, okay. it's like rounded squares that are different that you can uh -huh. have in like a single a quad, like a, a double, like, where they arrange in this grid pattern. So I'm like, they basically just uh -huh. copied Apple's design language for widgets. Uh, now again. Well, this goes back and forth. Well, it always does, year. right? Like Google had widgets, yeah. Apple didn't. Apple copied the widgets, but made them better. Now Google's gonna copy Apple's thing, and, but make it a little better. So this is every <laughs> like every time, it, I, like, I'm not saying, look, I'm not gonna come out here and say one is better than the other. Yeah. I haven't used Android, yeah. so I don't know. But, but again it's, it's all good in the end because they slingshot past each other right it's it, you know which is fine it it creates for you know uh healthy um competition right and in, in, in giving the consumer an option of what to choose now just um a, a background with my usage uh of these devices i well hold on before for you, a very long before time, you jump into that yeah. i just want to one, so yeah. so one final thing was basically I talked to my brother who's like the inverse of me like huge Android like uh -huh. power user uh, you know loves everything that Google does you know owns like multiple Chromebooks has owned like every pixel uh, you know jailbreaks or not jailbreak but roots his Android you know devices yeah. and you know just as big of an Android guy, Google guy as you can get. And he watched the, mm. he watched the keynote today. IO, IO and was, okay. was like, hated like, was like, this is dumb. Like they didn't announce anything interesting. Uh, like the things they did announce like area busyness, like who cares? Like, like it's cool. I'm sure it's like technically cool, but it's not like particularly something I care about. Uh, obviously they yeah. had some announcements for Wear OS. They're, they're, you know, but they didn't announce any hardware. There's new Google, like like first party Google Watch. Uh, so it's you know pretty lackluster, even in his eyes. Obviously, I was trying to yeah. I was trying to look through it from a kind of an agnostic lens, like or at least a what does this mean for iOS? Like what can iOS look forward to in the future? But mm -hmm. I didn't see anything particularly cool. And at least mm -hmm. from his, you know, one one Android fans or one Google fans perspective, he also didn't see anything cool. So I think it was, uh, I haven't I haven't looked at like on the interwebs to see like what the general mm -hmm. 
response was if people thought it was lackluster mm-hmm. but uh, at least as far as I can tell it was kind of a flop but anyway so yeah. so before I interrupted you you were you were diving into kind of your because you you used to own a uh, I forget it was like a Samsung phone or something I've always owned Samsung devices yeah I've never tried out the pixel um, full disclosure I do use Apple devices um, uh, pretty religiously at this point. Uh, I did switch over from Android to uh, to Apple uh, a few years ago, uh, simply for the fact of just I, I do love Apple's privacy policies and things like that. And Apple, I mean, in general terms, the Android devices uh, are more customizable than the Apple devices are. And I think that's one key thing that a lot of Android users love is the fact that they're able to do that now. Um, there, I, I, so that's the one thing, thing that, that yeah. always bothers me. Like, Oh, like that's always the first thing that, you know, in the, in the fanboy war, iOS versus Android, you know, Apple versus uh-huh. Google, they always say, Oh, you know, you're locked down with iOS and I have more customization, like customizability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, that's always meant like, oh, they can like make their home screen look different. Like they can customize it the way they want. I don't know mm-hmm. if like, is that, is that really all it is? Is like the like surface, like who, who can, do you, 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 you'll pick an entire platform just on the, like just the aesthetic of just you looking at your phone. Like you want to be able to like no. put, have your apps be see-through. Or is there like actual, no. actual like functional customization that I can't get? I mean, you know, I guess the other thing is like, oh, you can download apps that aren't coming through. Like you can sideload apps, which is cool. Yeah. But, you know, I haven't felt the need to have to sideload an app onto my phone, onto my iPhone, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I because Apple's App Store has all the apps that I want. I don't. What would I sideload? Right. Right. So this is where this stuff comes into play. So what right? customization and, am it, I missing so, out on? Aside from the customizations like that weird aesthetic customizations. Yeah. Well, that's one piece of it, right? It, there is. I mean, it's infinite, really, to the way you can set up your your Android device and how you want it to look and how you want it to feel and things like that. Uh, but also, there are a lot of apps that you can sideload where uh, you do root the device, you have full access to the OS, and you can um, pretty much put apps. It, essentially, this is more so for the folks that I think personally that are trying to get services for free. Uh, there's a lot of applications that are allowed on the Android platform that you can download to stream movies, to uh, access things, access apps that normally would cost money for free. So that's literally what uh, it is, which, which actually makes sense because uh, yeah. the reason why, uh, well, one of the reasons why um, the developer uh, community and the developer support for Android is not as healthy uh, as as iOS is that Mm -hmm. you make more money like developers 
make more money on iOS or yes. whatever, you know, and it's not, it's not because it's not necessarily it's because of the user base. Like there's more Android phones out there. I mean, it, like Google will tell mm-hmm. you, like Android fanboys will tell you like the market share is much better on, on Google side yet developers tend to make less on Android's platform. Why is that? Is the clientele, do they're just not spending as much? Or is it because of at least partially what you just said, which is that the this whole you know community of side loaders and people who want to customize are really just like stealing stuff? I don't know. I mean that's 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 kind of, yeah. I'm making a joke mostly there because uh, it's somewhat harsh, but yeah. but it, that's actually fine. <laughs> I never really thought of that. You're you know people who are like yeah. oh I I want to customize my phone, but really they're just like I just want to be able to like put yeah like you yeah. know applications yeah, that should exactly. cost money now they don't thanks to yes, somebody exactly okay yeah there's and there's a lot of that right but that also comes with implications right i mean there was a big following for you know apple devices as well jailbreaking apple devices right uh apple's cracked down a lot on that um but that it still happened i mean for the folks that were uh in, in the beginning I, I don't even really know if it happens anymore as often as it used to, but just the, the same way that Apple, the Android, you know, guys, myself included, would root, you know, root the Android devices and, and whatnot. Um, there was just similar following that jailbroke, you know, iPhones to do essentially the same thing. Um, and but it, but back then, I'll, I'll just say because I I was I definitely was part of that jailbreak community in the early years yeah. of iOS and mm-hmm. though I'm not saying the only reason why Google, you know, or Android users uh, root their phones is to steal stuff. But I, I didn't, I didn't jailbreak my phone to get access to things uh, that Apple explicitly didn't want me to have access to. It was to get access right. to features that iOS didn't have and, yeah. and, and wouldn't right. have for years. Uh, because iOS, you know, in those days was slow to the punch with a lot of, like OG iOS, like couldn't copy and paste for like, yeah, you know, a few years, right? And they couldn't, right. you, you know, you couldn't tether or you, you know, notification, you know, correct. The notification center was like awkward. It was like only like modal rather than like the the, uh, you know, the drop down notification system that you see in modern iOS. So there's a lot of like just mm-hmm. features that. Obviously, uh, Apple ended up borrowing from jailbreak developers and Android developers and stuff over the years. But, you know, nowadays, like the jailbreak community is somewhat, you know, dead in part due to Apple's, you know, satisfying the the needs of what people were jailbreaking for, for these features that they couldn't have. And now... And, and also because it's hard to jailbreak, right? It's hard to have like a, a working yeah. jailbreak uh, version of version. Yeah. Right? And it, it, with Androids, it was the same thing, right? It wasn't just that. It, it was unlocking features that weren't available with the the um, factory uh, OS that the device was uh, uh, that the device comes with. And with Google's, you know, Android's OS being on so many different devices, the touch and feel of these devices are a little different too. And some people like the hardware that they're getting. For example, you get a Samsung device, but you really like the way the the uh, the um, uh, pixels, 
the the way the OS is on the Pixel, and you want to emulate that on your uh, Samsung device. That was me. I I did enjoy doing that. And then it was also the simple fact that, dude, we were young. We were in our 20s, in our teens, whatever the case may be. And we just wanted to do it because to say we did it, right? And that's another piece of it for me, at least. I used to do it because I I can be like, yo, this is cool. Look, I just rooted my phone. I can do this. I can do that. Can your phone do that? No, I don't think so. Like, it's, it's, it's one of the parts. That's the part of it. I will say when I jailbroke my phone years ago there was a there was a game called words with friends it was like scrabble yeah i remember that and there was a there yeah. was a jailbreak uh like plug-in for that game uh called cheats with friends it would it what yeah. it would do and it was i only did it because it was funny uh but it would let you yeah. play like any combination of letters like it would let you drop all your letters like in a nonsense word like kurja flip and you would get like 120 points for playing courage of <laughs> flip i remember that in live yeah. and like real like online games live games yeah and yeah, people, yeah yeah people I remember a lot of, so many people would like rage quit i mean it's probably like looking back obviously it's like immature but it's pretty funny uh yeah so i i'm not saying i am like completely like righteous in my in my jailbreaking um but anyways that's enough about that i'll i'll yeah, I'll end my thought with this. I did switch over to Apple devices, and the reason why I did it is because it just works. <laughs> Android has a lot of little features that it has a lot of great features, but it also has. I hate the notification system on Android devices. It just it, they still haven't changed it. It's still the same. Um, it, it, there's a lot of different things that I I I just don't have the time to deal with this kind of stuff anymore, which is why. Outside of the fact that, you know, I like Apple's privacy um, policy and things like that, um, my Apple devices, all the ones that I've had as of recent, have been just great. They're flawless. They work well. Their hardware is great. It's the OS is made for that hardware, period. It doesn't go on anything else. It goes on that hardware. It, it meshes well with the with uh, the OS meshes well with the with the hardware and that's and everything works and then the ecosystem for Apple just works great too. Um, I, I know there's a lot of Google folks that you know use all of their that that uses the Google ecosystem, which is fine. But for me personally, that's that's what works for me. The device, the OS, the ecosystem. These are the three pieces that made me switch over to pretty much all Apple devices. <laughs> well, so. yeah, I mean, I think that's what I invite. I invite anyone who is listening to this to come, you know, flame me on Twitter. We'll get your brother on. We have to get your brother on, man. Yeah, well, we can we can have it out with him, the uh, fanboy uh, shootout. But I think ultimately it comes down to you know, it's just subjectivity, right? Whatever you like more. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there's maybe objectively features that one platform will offer that the other doesn't, but that's typically short lived because, you know, they catch up and slingshot past or, you mm-hmm. know, there's a comparable feature on, on, a, you know, on the, the opposite platform. But, uh, I've all, I, I, I guess in the very early days I picked iOS and even if I wanted to switch to Google, I don't think I could. I'm so ingrained. Like I own Apple everything. I have Apple Watch. 
MacBooks, you know, I have yeah. uh, Same. phone. I have st- all this stuff bought through iTunes, through the App Store. Uh, I use Apple services. Like, I'm too, like, it would take a monumental, like, identity, like, shift for me to, like, move away. Um, not that, not to say that it couldn't. Like, I, I always wonder, uh, and I do kind of want to just wrap this all up, but I like, uh, at least something to think about, something to talk about next time is, and so we'll, we'll both think about this, but if there was a feature that could come out on another platform that you would, and it wasn't Mm -hmm. offered, like Google announced today that with the new version of the pixel, like you could teleport. That's ridiculous, right? That's like an extreme, like obviously nonsensical thing. But like, I would say, I would be like, Uh, I'm buying that. Like I have to buy that. I have to have that. Yeah. But I mean, think about a realistic feature where if Google came out Mm -hmm. with it, you would say, I like I that's worth even like camera functionality potentially like what if they came out with a camera that had like like I know so there's some phones that you know do like 100x view I don't know again I was saying I didn't want to get into it but think 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 of something that you think would in fact that's another thing man that's a whole nother thing I hate the way I mean again we're trying to wrap this up but I hate the way Android with all these other uh you know, social media apps and stuff like like Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and all this. I hated the way Android recorded or showed or viewed anything because it was always choppy. It was always slow, but then it worked flawlessly with the iPhone. I just don't get it. Like that was one of the pet peeves of mine also. So, well, there you go. If you definitely have, if you want to argue with Masi about why he should switch back to Android, uh, where can I find you Masi? Hey, uh, well, I'm on Twitter, MasiaBB, at MasiaBB on uh, Twitter. Um, and, uh, yeah. All right, cool. And, again, if you want to find me, I'm at ShellSharks uh, on Twitter. Uh, so, yeah, feel free to come tell me why Android's so much better than iOS and why I should switch. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good chatting, Masi. Uh, Thank you, man. Talk to you next time.